0: Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with The Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of The Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado.
1: Welcome back to another episode of The Damn Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Machado, and with me as always is feverblitz.com beat writer carter Baines. carter late late night or i guess i should probably say early morning for you uh you said you got home about what almost two o'clock
0: yeah i'm dragging a little bit today i'm not gonna lie this might not be my best uh damn podcast performance of all time running on five and a half hours of sleep uh my voice probably sounds a little groggy still as we're recording this at 4 p.m but uh yeah i got back home from from the uh, the media room at Reser at about one forty a.m. and then fell asleep at about three. So five and a half hours of sleep after a, a long night. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been a bit of a drag today.
1: Those those eight p.m. kicks are brutal, 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 brutal. But
0: they're they're not media friendly, that's for sure, and they certainly don't ask us what time we want the game to start.
1: They don't. They don't at all. Um, but you know, let's talk a little bit because the Bees came away with a big win. Um. And I I think it was something that everybody expected. Um, I think there were some things during the game that surprised a lot of people, both for the good and the bad. So let's just jump right into this. In your opinion last night, what went right against Hawaii besides obviously the score?
0: Well, offensive balance, I think, is the the first thing that stands out to me. You look at the, the total numbers and you've got 302 passing yards, 256 rushing yards. I mean, that's great balance for an offense that, Really couldn't find anything with much consistency uh, in week one at Purdue, but to be able to get the ground game going and then also have Chance Nolan start the game thirteen of thirteen, and then he finishes with about a seventy-three percent completion rate. uh, When you get both of those things rolling at the same time, you're going to score a lot of points, and that's exactly what Oregon State did, putting up forty-five against the Rainbow Warriors.
1: And and how about this? Something that really stood out to me is going right offensively, and I agree with you. The balance was there. Um, was chance Nolan. So, you know, how he spread that ball out to seven receivers um, led by Anthony Gould, which um, that was really a breakout game for him. Um, Did you expect that? You've been watching a lot of practice. Did you expect to see Anthony have the game he had?
0: Well, I didn't see uh, seven catches, 119 yards and a touchdown coming. That's for sure. But, you know, Anthony Gould is kind of an interesting guy who's been on campus now for this being his, what third year uh, let me think redshirt so he redshirted uh, to had the COVID year this would be uh, his third year I believe and um, he didn't make a catch through his true freshman season or his redshirt season or COVID season so I guess this is actually his fourth, fourth year yeah and so he goes into Purdue and he comes away with one catch for eight yards and you say okay Anthony Gould's getting a little bit of playing time now but I don't think anybody saw that and said you know, this is, uh, this is Oregon State's new go-to guy, and that's exactly what he looked like against Hawaii. But throughout full camp, you know, it, this is the first year that I had seen Gould take extended reps with the first and second teams. And he actually took a lot of reps with the ones, especially as camp came to a close. I think he kind of started to establish himself as one of the key guys off the bench. And then with Tyjon Lindsay being unavailable this week uh, with that ankle injury that he sustained against Purdue, Anthony Gould got the call and he answered it. He was targeted seven times and hauled in each one of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, that was impressive. And then, you know, we, we talked a lot during fall camp with our preview and, and every, and such about how much expectation we had for the transfer to Sean Fenwick at running back um, nothing against BJ Baylor, but um, we kind of thought he might be more of a role player, but wow, he really had himself a game last night.
0: He- 18 carries 171 yards and three touchdowns that's an average of nine and a half per carry he had a long of 66 and he also had that 30 yard touchdown on the second play of the second half and I mean just what a game for BJ Baylor you know his his career high in yardage coming into this one was the 101 he had against Cal Poly in 2019 and he comes in and he almost doubles that with a Jamar Jefferson-esque kind of performance you know where you're putting together those long runs but you're also bullying people at the line of maps and pushing your way through um and and averaging almost 10 yards a carry you know that's if if you've got a guy who can pick up a first down every time he touches the ball that's going to do wonders for your offense and you know bj is an interesting runner in that you're not going to get a game like this from him every time out like you might expect from jermar jefferson but i think just what he brings to the offense as this um, as this guy who has a, a tendency to find the right, right gap and has some breakaway speed, I, I think he poses a lot of problems for opposing defenses. And if anyone's gonna run away with the the featured back role, I think it's Baylor at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and at the same time, I think it's it's time too that you you give some credit to that offensive line who struggled a bit during Purdue, uh during the Purdue game. And I thought they played a really good game this this week as well. But yeah, nine and a half yards of carry. Goodness, that's uh that's like eye-popping numbers
0: right there. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the offensive line, and, and BJ himself actually credited the O-line after the game. Um, he said, you know, that was the best that they'd played in a long time. Chance Nolan also shouted them out and said, you know, they just gave me all time to throw, and my receivers were getting open. And it was just an all-around great offensive performance, and I think it did start up front this week, which is something that we like to see after – George Karloftis and that Purdue front seven really caused some, but um, I I think you know one holding penalty stands out against Joshua Gray. But outside of that, I think it was a pretty clean game from that group as well. So uh, you like to see you know procedural penalties. Uh, You you like to see them getting good push at the at the line of scrimmage, averaging six point one yards per carry across the whole team, and and only allowing one sack on the night as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I you know you have to remember this is Hawaii. Um, That's has not, uh, had a, a super year yet, but, um, again, at the same time, they're, they're big and they're physical, especially, you know, that front front seven watching those guys come onto the field. They, some of those linemen looked big for the, for the rainbow warriors. Let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, kind of a mixed bag. I think what, did, what were your, what are your takeaways from the defense?
0: So I, I think, you know, the immediate takeaway from a lot of fans, um, what I've been reading on in, in the lodge at Beaver Blitz. And I know just. Looking over what you wrote and he said, she said, which will go out Monday morning. Um, I, I think the overall takeaway is that they gave up too many yards and too many points to a Hawaii team um, that is okay on the offensive side of the ball, but you know not as good as some of the Pac-12 offenses uh, that Oregon State's going to see down the road. But the thing that stands out to me is, you know, I'm okay with Oregon State giving up a couple hundred yards through the air. I'm okay with them allowing, you know, 90-whatever yards on the ground. What really stood out to me was just across the board, the individual statistics that some of these guys put up. I mean, if you look at the defensive stat chart, this is far and away the most productive game I have seen since I started covering this team. You've got three sacks, seven tackles for loss, two interceptions, 14 pass breakups, and nine quarterback hurries. So those nine QB hurries plus the seven tackles for loss, that means you're making 16 plays in the backfield on top of the fact that you're breaking up 14 passes, which is probably three times as many as I have seen this team record at any point uh, over the last couple of years in a single game. I mean, just across the board, an incredible game by so many individual players. Uh, And I think that needs to be recognized a bit more than some of the the yardage numbers that you're going to see when you look at the the overall box box score.
1: So I, you know what I think it is and this is what watching it last night and I think this is what Beaver fans are feeling though. And and that thanks for bringing that up because I think that is important. But I think the frustration comes from the fact that this is year 4 of Tim Tipisar and we're seeing some of the same things that we have seen year after year after year and and the biggest one of those, the biggest I think frustration is the third and long conversions, um, and that second half, especially, it just kind of seemed like the Beavers could hold them and get them into third and long and then boom, give up a big play. That's, that's hard to, I, you know, to watch.
0: You're exactly right. And I think what I mentioned with those numbers of, of past breakups, tackles for loss, all of those create third and long situations. Um, and then where that yardage comes from is the big plays that you're seeing on the third and fifteens, the second and elevens. You know that's where Hawaii found most of its success. And uh, looking at the numbers here, I see Hawaii goes. Uh, I can't find the third down conversion rate off the top of the off the top of my head, but um, I'll find that at some point.
1: Well, uh, so but I, I know here, it was high. Big plays. Oregon State had seven and big plays. These are. Pass plays of 15 yards or greater. Oregon State had seven for 179 yards. Hawaii had 12 for 281. That's a lot. And I and I think if they would have if they would have cut back on some of those big plays, we would have seen more of that game. That I think this game could have been. I I, I think this game could have been a 45 or, you know, 52 to 14 type game. And I think that's kind of what Beaver Nation was hoping especially going into that even the second half where oregon state was able to get the ball and score in 14 seconds
0: yeah and while you were talking there i, I found it. it hawaii was nine of 16 on third downs which is um you know it's obviously greater than 50 percent uh, and that's that's just not going to get the job done if, if oregon state wants to beat some of those pac 12 offenses like i mentioned you know you, you can't allow your opponent to convert 60% of the time on third down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, but like I said, um, like you said, there's uh, some brightness there with, with the, I, I can't recall the last time there were 14 pass breakups. I, I can't. And I've been covering this team a long time.
0: And it was spread out too, you know, I, looking at the individual numbers, Alton Julian had three pass breakups, Rajon Wright broke up three balls. Catano Ladapo had three. One of them should have been a pick if we're being honest. Uh, Alex Austin had a pair of pass breakups and even the linebackers. I mean, Riley Sharp, Avery Roberts. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that I was looking for as well after seeing the way that the linebackers were outmatched by Payne Durham last year or last week, uh, the tight end for Purdue. Um, I I think coverage for the linebackers is one question mark if there is one for that group. And uh, it was exposed a bit last week. But seeing Riley Sharp come up with an interception, Sharp and Roberts make pass breakups, Uh, you're seeing those guys having a little more success in coverage this week.
1: Very true. Um, And you mentioned Alton Julian, and I just want to give him a a public shout out too. I texted you. I was not in the press box. I was watching it remotely. And I texted you because I've been very critical of Alton Julian this, the last year for not being physical and and shying away from contact, but dang, he, he, uh, he actually made, got his nose in there and made some tackles. So um, it was really good to see that aggressiveness from him um i think i i texted you at one point during the game and and i think i said like oh my god holy cow who is who is number seven and what have they done with alton julian so um that was that was fun to see um so let's move on to the coaches game prep and coaches you and i were both very critical of the offensive coaches last week um and and the game prep how how are you feeling this week about the coaches and their game plan
0: substantially better after this game. I think they came in with, um, you know, just a better feel for some of the guys that they were going to put out there and having chance Nolan as, as your starter, I think helps a lot with that because he can put you in a lot of positions to be successful, regardless of who you're putting on the field with him. Um, I think he's just a natural playmaker and uh, he just looked incredibly comfortable out there. And I think part of that is the coaches uh, calling the right plays for him and, and knowing what situations he thrives in and, and, Um, you know they waited until thursday to make the decision you know read into that as as much as you want whether or not they knew beforehand but um i think even with that late decision they had enough of a game plan in place beforehand uh to to kind of suit his skill set and i i didn't come away from that game questioning any play calls like i did against purdue
1: so you you pose this question in the lodge um and then I want to talk to you to It's kind of a double-edged thing here for you to think about because you posted in the lodge. If the Beavers had started Chance Nolan at Purdue, do you think it would have been a win? So I want you to answer that, but I also, you know, talk a little bit about, we we've been talking a little bit about Chance Nolan being a gamer and, you know, he's a guy that really hasn't wowed us in practice at all. Talk about, you know, guys you might've played with, you know, that, I mean, is that phenomenon of a, quote-unquote gamer? Is it is it real?
0: So first of all, I, I do think Oregon State would be 2-0 right now if Chance Nolan started at Purdue. Uh, just the spark that he brought to the offense in the quarter and a half that he played uh, in West Lafayette, the, his ability to move the ball and score points, um, he, he continued that over four quarters against Hawaii, so he proved that that wasn't just a one-quarter thing. It wasn't just a, you know – Purdue wasn't expecting to see him. So he went in and, and made some things happen. This is apparently just who Chance Nolan is now. Um, and the sample size is growing at this point. And I think uh, the Beavers would be 2-0 and if, if Nolan got the, got the nod in West Lafayette. But to answer the, the other part of your question, I think this is the element of Chance Nolan that um, we didn't really understand until he proved that this is just what he's going to do now. You know, watching him in practice, I'll be honest. I, I had kind of written him off towards the end of fall camp. I, I thought that uh, you know he was falling towards the third or fourth string role. And to be honest, when I saw him taking first team reps over the last few days of camp, I said, "Is is this really a good sign for the offense to have Chance Nolan taking these reps?" And next thing you know, he's the starting quarterback and he's putting up incredible numbers. So I think he does have a tendency to elevate his game. Um, come game day, as opposed to what you're going to see from him on the practice field. And uh, to answer your other question there, that totally is something that happens. You know, I, I played basketball for years and I know from experience that some guys just in the moment perform much better than they do when they're around guys that they're familiar with and, and running through the same drills every day and, and going through install and, um, you know, game prepping it's it, games are such a different beast from practices that um, I, I think you know he's, he's a guy who just shines when the lights are on.
1: and, and vice versa there are guys that you've played with I, I know I've played you know I've played sports and there are people too that are amazing practice players and then you get them in the game and the bright lights and they kind of wilt so I, I, it goes both ways but this is the guy that I kind of expected more from you know last year when he, when he came in um, I know I, I spoke with Brad Hoysseth who had covered him um, is a JC football. Uh, guru covered him at Saddleback where, where Brad also works, and you know, he called me and said, "This kid is amazing. You know this kid is lights out. I think he broke all of Colt Brennan's records at, at Saddleback back in the day. and um, so this was the guy I think we all kind of were expecting Oregon State to have. Um, so it, it's fun to see you know, where where he's at and, and seeing you know so you were there, I was watching via TV and to see the sideline, you can just see the players love him. He really has the respect of the players, um, even the other quarterbacks, you know, he'd run off on the sideline and you'd see him talking to Neuer and um, Goldbranson and and just laughing and they were joking around. So um, I know that's easier to do when you're way up, but um, no, that's, that's fun to see.
0: And it's an interesting tidbit too, because I think that some of that is, is new, you know, watching him in camp, there were a couple of times where he'd make a particular throw or or run it, you know, tuck it and run at, at one point. And some of his teammates would say, come on chance, you know, like I'm open, that kind of thing. Um, and and even last year, you know, I think the team really showed that they rallied behind Tristan Jebia at the beginning of the year. And I don't necessarily know if we saw that down the stretch with Nolan, um, but it, you're exactly right to see them build that chemistry over the first couple of games. Um, that's going to be huge because that is part of the game, you know, having timing, having your timing down with your receivers and having a connection with your O-line, you know, every single one of those relationships you build is critically important to this entire offense's success. And we're really starting to see things click for Nolan right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's going to, it's, he's going to win friends when he's passing the ball around to seven, seven different receivers like that and uh, making them all look good. So that also helps, helps his popularity as well. Um, standout players. If you had game balls to give, who would you give your game ball to? Let's say offense first.
0: So the problem is there's only one game ball and uh, there okay, are let, you can guys a standout
1: it. players. I, in my notes, to be fair, I did say standout players. I did not say game. Okay. ball. So standout players
0: on the offensive side. I'll go one at uh, each of the three main positions, quarterback, running back wide receiver chance. Nolan gets a game ball. Uh, for having the game of his Oregon State career to this point, 302 passing yards are a, a career high at the FBS level. BJ Baylor gets a game ball for being the uh, the overall MVP on uh, on on either roster, really going 18 carries, 171, three touchdowns. Uh, that's that's enough to to make you the player of the game in my book. And then Anthony Gould for a, a true breakout performance. You know, someone who who came out of nowhere and and just torched the Hawaii secondary in the first half. I mean, six of his seven catches came in the first half. The only catch he had after the break was that touchdown, uh, which was the first of his career. And so to see him break out like that uh, and and lead the game in receiving, uh, that's, that's very impressive.
1: Okay, um, how about defense, game balls?
0: So first of all, we always have to recognize Avery Roberts, who's going to be at the top of the the tackle leaderboard every week. He had 12 tackles um, and the second best total on the team this week was seven. So he almost doubled Alton Julian and he added a sack, two tackles for loss, a pass breakup and a quarterback hurry. So he's my defensive MVP. But I also want to give a huge shout out to Riley Sharp, who, you know, he's he's a guy who got a lot of playing time uh, two years ago when Hamaka Rashid had that breakout season and and he put together some very good numbers. And I don't think he got as much recognition as much recognition as he deserved because Oregon State had so much talent at outside linebacker that year. Um, But he's he's picked up this year where he left off in 2019. And he had a sack, uh, his first career interception, a pass breakup, two quarterback hurries and three total tackles against Hawaii. Uh, Just the best all around game, I think, by an Oregon State defender. Uh, he filled up the most. He had a a, a tally in the most statistical categories uh, of anybody on this Oregon State team. So, uh, all, Roberts and Sharp, I think, are are the two guys. But if anyone was to get a consolation, it would be all of the defensive backs who tallied three pass breakups each.
1: I agree. Those were great. Um, you know what I I noticed was missing though on both D line and O line. Is that is True. that a statement of where this team is? or is it just because those two positions are not super sexy and don't, I think callie? it's,
0: I think it's more of the latter. Um, okay. You know, you're not going to see offensive linemen show up in the stat book and D and linemen are never going to rack up the tackles that a safety or a, an inside linebacker are. But I actually thought Oregon state's defensive line, man, through two games, I am just blown away by the improvement that they have shown despite Isaac Hodgins being on the sideline. At, at one point, Oregon State had, I believe, four tackles for loss against Hawaii. Three of them were from defensive linemen. And that's just something that Oregon State hasn't had the luxury of mm-hmm. under Coach Smith. All of the tackles for loss under Coach Smith, the first three years have come from outside that's linebackers nice. and, and, and Avery Roberts and Omar Spates at, at inside too. Um, but To get that push from the D-line uh, that's an absolute game changer for this Oregon state defense. And this is now the second week in a row they've held their opponent under a hundred yards rushing, which, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I don't think that that has happened under coach Smith. I know that in 2019 they held Washington, Washington state, and I believe Hawaii under a hundred yards, but I don't think they strung together back-to-back games um, in which they held their opponent under 100 rushing yards but this is two weeks in a row now for for this de- for this defense and um through two games their opponents are averaging just over three yards per carry which is a very good number
1: hey see look at this i run on emotion half the time so i was kind of like down because i'm i'm watching them give up these big third down plays and carter brings us back to reality because he actually gives us real numbers not just emotion and
0: you know, and the third down problem is, I mean, that's a problem. It's, let's not, let's not gloss over that. I mean, everybody that's pointing to that as a, a point of concern is exactly right. Because all of these numbers that I'm bringing up, the rushing yards, the, the pass breakups, none of that matters if you can't get off the field on third down. Um, so they're putting themselves in good situations. But something about that defensive scheme is is just not right. There's something that does not work. And if, if somebody on that coaching staff cannot figure out what it is, I, I think a job will be lost over it because you cannot afford to let Hawaii, let alone a USC or an Oregon convert 60% of their third downs. It's just not going to work.
1: Cause that's what I worry about. And like, like you said, I mean, it's, they, they work so hard. They, and, and people in the, in the lodge at Beaver Bliss have been talking, oh, they were gassed. Okay. Well, they wouldn't be gassed if they were able to get off the field in those third and long situations. Um, and I think it's just the frustration, but what I saw, there is a whole bunch of game film that Pac-12 opponents are going to exploit if they don't figure out what's going wrong. That's yeah,
0: what I, I saw. I 100% think so. And again, you know, all of these individual performances are great, but at the end of the day, um, the, the 27 points and the 366 passing yards, that all stems from third downs. So I would be curious, uh, I, I don't have this breakdown anywhere available to me but i am curious how many of hawaii's yards came on third downs because i would not be surprised if it was at least half
1: yeah i'll have to we'll have to look at that's a good thing to look at we'll look at that we'll post it in the lodge after once we can kind of figure it out um so just we keep talking about the lodge at beaver blitz if you are not i mean if you're a beaver fan and you don't know about the lodge at beaver blitz then we've got some issues because you need to be in the lodge at beaver blitz game threads. I mean, gosh, we had another like 6,000 page view night and this is a a home game and people were were still posting. So um, people were posting from their seats inside research. So um, it's just a fun place to be. You get all of Carter's insights, great stuff. So make sure you become a member. We uh, right now have welcomed, we are at record numbers right now for our membership and uh, we would love to welcome you as well. Join the conversation. Um, It's a great place to celebrate. It's a great place to vent. It's a great place to jump in and ask Carter or myself or any of the recruiting experts what you know, their thoughts are. So definitely check us out. Carter, let's, let's jump in and talk a little Pac-12. I don't know how much Pac-12 you were able to watch. Um, we started the morning off in the Machado household early, watching that Ohio State-Oregon game. Are, do you fall under the camp that a win at Ohio State by Oregon is good for the conference, or are you more in the no, ducks, never?
0: That's a that's a good question. You're testing my professionalism here. From a, a from a non-biased Pac-12 media member, I say, good for the Ducks going in there and and proving to the country that the Pac-12 is legitimate. Um, that that we have a true playoff contender, and that when the media rights deals come up in in the next couple of years, the Pac-12 is going to be right there and and garnering some attention from ESPN and Fox and all of them. But um, from a from a peer, you know Oregon State Homer perspective, there there's nothing fun about watching your rival go in and and shock the college football world with the biggest win in the last probably 20 years for the Pac-12. You know, obviously you wish Oregon State was doing that, um, but as far as the health of the conference is concerned, watching Oregon go into the the horseshoe and and come away with a win over the number three team in the country absolutely massive for the Pac-12.
1: Okay. And, and remember Oregon State did beat pretty much the same duck team with Kayvon Thibodeau That's last true. year. Um, yeah. Okay. So did you watch any of that game?
0: I did. I watched the entire game. Yeah. Okay. I, that was the first thing I did when I woke up in the morning. I just sat down on the couch and said, all right, strap in. This is going to be a good one.
1: Okay. We're, but were you as underwhelmed as I was with Ohio State?
0: Yeah. And you know, I actually watched their, um, their week one opener against Minnesota as well. I watched almost that entire game and from the first half of, of that game at Minnesota, I said, wow, you know, Oregon's going to have a chance against this team. I don't think CJ Stroud is all that great. Uh, you know, he, that was his first game at Minnesota. And I said, you know, this Oregon defense is really good. I don't know if, you know, he's going to be ready to face a cave Thibodeau who, you know, of course didn't play, but, Um, just the the talent level on that defense I didn't know if he was going to be ready for it and at the end of the the Oregon game you look and he's got almost 500 passing yards but I think his missed throws were the difference in that game he had a bunch of open receivers who could have scored and he missed uh, a couple of third down and fourth down throws that I think could have given Ohio State at least three more touchdowns Um, and I I truly think that was the difference in the game
1: yeah it was I I just kind of was watching that thinking huh I I didn't they didn't look the number three team in the country although watching Oregon against Fresno State didn't look like a top 10 team either so I guess they all have their their days Looking, I, do, I um, do
0: think Fresno State is just that good though
1: yeah I do too I, I do too I think the west coast kind of gets a little especially the mountain west I mean you look at some of the schools in the mountain west well I mean San Diego State totally annihilated Arizona
0: I mean, I th- I think a lot of schools could totally <laughs> annihilate Arizona this year. I mean, no offense to 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 Coach Fish down there taking over, but uh, he's he's got a long road ahead of him.
1: Yeah, he does. That was that was rough. We, I I watched a tiny tiny bit of that and we kept checking the score. But let's stick with the Pac-12 North. Washington, not a huge surprise, they lost to Michigan. Um, so Washington is 0 and 2 right now. I, I know Husky I will fans.
0: Say- Yeah, you know, not a huge surprise that they go into the big house and lose. But I think the way that they lost, it's it just confirms what we saw from them in week one when they managed seven points points. against Montana. They only put up 10 at Michigan. And, you know, this is an offense now that through two weeks of the season is averaging what, eight and a half points per game. Yeah. I mean, there there are some serious concerns on Montlake right now. And if they can't turn it around, I mean, Jimmy Lake's going to be on the hot seat in his second year.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they have talent on offense. That's the the crazy thing. I mean, I, Dylan Morris is their quarterback and yep. I, I've seen him for years and I kept saying he'd look good in orange and black, but he's not getting it done up in Washington. Um, Washington State beat Portland State. That um, is not a huge surprise. Cal lost by two to TCU, um, which I think maybe surprised some people um, that it was that close. And then this is the one that got me. It was the same time as our game. And so I didn't watch it but Stanford beat up on USC in the Coliseum. So, you know, Oregon State plays both these teams and they play USC in two weeks. What do you you think is going to be happening down in the land of Troy in two weeks?
0: There is going to be a strong contingent of USC fans there who would be okay with Oregon State winning that game if it means that Clay Hilton is fired. Can you and imagine? Because point, Oregon
1: State hasn't won in the Coliseum since 1962,
0: and maybe that's maybe that's the final straw. You know, maybe that streak comes to an end, and and the USC brass finally says Clay Helton is not going to get us to where we need to be. And I think, I mean, no knock against Oregon State, which is clearly building a program, uh, but if USC loses to Oregon State at home, that's that can't happen for USC. You know what I mean? That that just can't happen. And after just getting thoroughly dominated by Stanford at home, um, they're walking on thin ice there. And, you know, Helton has always, he's never been a fan favorite, but especially now with expectations the way they are uh, he's underperformed for so long that I think his time is coming.
1: Yeah. And especially Stanford, because this is not Stanford of the past five, six years
0: this is a Stanford team that I fully expect to finish fifth in the North. Uh, And I I think Oregon state beats them to, to break that streak too.
1: I I agree. Okay. So looking at the PAC 12 South, Arizona lost to uh, San Diego state, Colorado lost to TCU. And that was a close one as well. Came down to the wire. Utah lost to BYU, ASU beats UNLV. Any surprises there?
0: The Colorado Texas A&M game was a massive surprise to me. You know, Colorado. Right. And Texas A&M, not TCU, sorry. Yeah, Cal was TCU. Um, yeah. Colorado, I, I think I'm still not sold on that team. It's a, it's a good defense. It's a good running game. Um, but just across the board, you know, I, I, I'm not sold that they're as good as their four and two record last, last year showed. And I don't think a three-point loss to Texas A&M uh, is as good of a team as they are either. Texas A&M was rolling with a backup quarterback who just looked abysmal. Uh, that AM offense could get nothing going until that game winning drive late in the fourth quarter. And, you know, Colorado scored seven points. So, yeah, yeah. Sure, losing to three points to the number five team in the country looks good, but um, it, it took a very, very poor performance from a backup quarterback to to get them there.
1: So, let's just talk about this. Pac 12 has been known for years as kind of this high flying offensive league. What in the hell has happened?
0: Things are starting to fall off and it's, it's interesting, but I, I think it opens some opportunities for certain schools. I think this is a huge opportunity for Oregon state to capitalize. You know, the, the North is, the North looks terrible this year outside of Oregon, Oregon's two uh, and uh and everybody else has shown just flashes of complete mediocrity at, at some point throughout the first two weeks. And I, I do think that Oregon state could very well finish second in the North if, if things keep playing out the way that they have.
1: It's definitely, I mean, yeah. I mean, watching I watched some of that Stanford game last week. And yeah, I totally agree. I think there's some some total winnable games. It's just gonna take Oregon State's best effort. You know, they have to keep the offense rolling like it did against Hawaii. And I, I don't think Hawaii is a great team, but again, they're big and physical up front. So that does bode better than this coming week, taking on Idaho, which I fully expect will be another just a a nice warm-up game before USC. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? Um, what do you want to see offensively this week against Idaho?
0: Oregon state after scoring 45 on Hawaii should break the 50 point threshold against Idaho. You know, Idaho's rebuilding that program. Um, it's, it's rejoined the big sky. The Vandals have dropped down back to the FCS level and they're starting to rebuild things. You know, it was, it was a bit of a rough transition. Um, you would think that an FBS team going down to the big sky would have some immediate success, but that program, to be quite honest, was in shambles. And um, I, I think they're starting to build back up. And so, you know, don't be surprised if they score a few points or if Oregon State doesn't put up 70 against them. But this is a game that Oregon State should win by a, a very healthy margin. And if, if they were able to put up 45 on Hawaii, I, I would expect them to, to tack on at least another touchdown or two.
1: What do you think offensively? Do you think they see, that we see some other quarterbacks, some some guys come in late because the B's the a big enough lead?
0: My bold prediction is that you see three quarterbacks against Idaho because okay. Nolan will be the guy moving forward. And there's just, I mean, that's that's proven now. You know, Nolan's gone out there and done it for four quarters. Um, I don't think there's any chance Neuer, Neuer uproots him. Um, but if Oregon State's up by 30 points at halftime, you know, you're probably going to see a backup come in very early in the third. And if it's still a blowout uh, late in the fourth, could be an opportunity to give Sam Vidlak some playing time. You know, with that redshirt rule, you could play four games and 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 still maintain your redshirt. Why not give a true freshman two series or, or you know, just a, maybe even one drive at the very end of the game just to see what he looks like against another team.
1: Yeah, give him, get some of those butterflies knocked off early. Um, defensively, do you want to see any, I mean, if you were to change things up with scheme, any, anything special you would do
0: start aggressive against Idaho, you need to set the tone early that you're not going to be able to move the ball on the ground and we're going to get some pressure on the quarterback. If that means you give up one big play early in the game, so be it, because this offense is not going to have any trouble moving the ball against Idaho, I don't think. So play aggressive, you know, when you when you when you start this game and set that tone. And then if it's close after the first 10, 15 minutes, then maybe you need to play a little more conservatively. But I just think that Oregon State has so much to prove still on the defensive side that um, this is a good opportunity to kind of test some things and see what sticks. You know, if, if Tibisar wants to throw some certain blitz packages at Idaho to see what works and what doesn't, uh, this, is, this is the week to do it.
1: Do you think, okay, this brings up just another question then, because people in the Lodge have been talking about the blitz is not working, throwing too many blitzes. Do you think Tibisar is blitzing too much?
0: It's actually one thing that I haven't really watched as closely as I should have is, is just the frequency with which Oregon state is sending its linebackers. And honestly, I, I ne- never have a problem with blitzing. Um, it's just so important to establish a presence in the backfield, um, especially when your defensive line is as questionable as it is. I, I think sending linebackers is, is never a bad thing. And so um I'll make a point of watching that a little bit more just to see uh, how it impacts the game. But generally speaking, I'm I'm okay with this team sending some outside linebackers.
1: Okay, Carter, are you ready to have some fun? We did not we got do this. We damn questions? We do have some damn questions. We did not do this last week, so I apologize. That is all on me. But I did pose this in the Lodge at Beaver Blitz today, and we have some good ones. We have some good questions here. And I'm going to throw these out at you. The very first one is, comes from Beave 23 He has a couple here. Um, this is an interesting one. I'm just going to toss this out because I don't know what to make of this. And I know people keep asking about Jebby or uh, Addison Gums. You asked Coach Smith about Gums this week. He's being very quiet, very elusive on this one.
0: Injury is.
1: or a violation of team rules, and I go ahead and tell us what Coach Smith said earlier this week.
0: Okay, so so here's the rundown from this week on on gums, and I'll I'll even throw a little bit of insight from uh, the the Purdue week too, because things are it's starting to get really interesting with the situation. So let's rewind to two weeks ago, two days before the Purdue game. Um, actually, we'll go Monday of Purdue week. Coach Smith says that they're going to monitor Addison Gums, Elijah Jones, Keontae Shad throughout the week and determine later in the week if they're going to be able to go. That Thursday, I asked Smith, you mentioned earlier in the week, you're going to monitor these guys. How are they looking? Are they going to be good to go this week? And he says, well, you know, we're monitoring everyone. We want, we want everyone to be healthy. And um, it was just, it was incredibly er, evasive, and I thought, okay, well, Probably just doesn't want to tip his hand, you know. You've got this opportunity to, to catch a team by surprise, and then Addison Gums doesn't make the trip. And then Monday, in in his weekly press conference, um, he didn't address Gums when he talked about injuries. And then on Thursday, I said, you know, we didn't get the chance to ask you on Monday. What's is is Addison Gums like practicing? Is he good to go this week? Uh, and Smith said, there's no timeline that's that's all he would offer so we're looking at I mean just pretty much no information on this situation and if if I had to guess I would say you this saw him
1: something. he walked past you on the field the other night last night
0: yes yeah as the the moment I got down to the field at at Research, uh, Addison Gums walked right by me he was wearing a jersey and sweats Uh, he was not in, in full uniform or anything, but he was there. Um, so we know, I mean, we know that he is on the team. Um, but I, I really question what the situation is. I I'm not sold that this is an injury because when I saw him in fall camp, he was sprinting along the sidewalk sideline just fine. Um, he looked totally healthy in the, in the days that he practiced in full and he, uh, you know he wasn't he wasn't limping or anything he didn't have a brace or a cast or anything when i saw him yesterday uh, he looks fully healthy to me and so the fact the fact that there's no timeline uh, that smith has been evasive with this situation i'm starting to believe that this is an off-field situation
1: so just say violation of team rules that is such a huge umbrella and coaches use it all the time for everything from grades to any I, anything i mean it can be anything besides injury just say it so anyway, it'll be inter- interesting
0: to see and, if he says anything tomorrow. And I'll add, you know, this is something that, um, as we progress throughout the season, just, you know, trust me, we're, we're going to try to get answers for you. If, if you're out there listening and you're saying, you know, are, are you even asking about gums? Like, have you seen him at all? Like, we're going to try, we're, we're going to see what we can get out of Smith. We're going to, we're going to push him a little bit. And if, if he doesn't give us anything to work with, then you know we're all gonna be in the dark but um we are we are looking for answers
1: yes and if you if you are able to watch some press conferences and hear Carter and, and Nick Dashel especially ask questions you can see that we sometimes can get under coach Smith's skin a little bit
0: but just a little bit
1: just a little but you know what if we're not like pushing the envelope we're not doing our job so no.
0: exactly that's what we need to do
1: um okay so that was a good one um, here's a Reaser B23, this is another good one. And this goes back to kind of those big plays that we saw against Hawaii. What do you attribute the defense allowing so many open receivers on cross, crossing routes to?
0: This is a good question. And I think it goes back to what I talked about with the linebackers in coverage. Um, the numbers that you saw Payne Durham put up in week one as a tight end, who is it that matches up against a tight end when when you're in man coverage? It's, it's a linebacker, right? So that's what you need to watch for. If, if there's a pass over the middle, look for Avery Roberts and Omar Spates. Are they selling out on the run? Are they dropping back in coverage? What happens when they drop back in coverage? Are they tight on the receiver or are they playing to tackle him? You know, are, are they containing for the quarterback? Just keep an eye on, on Roberts and Spates on passing plays um, and, and watch what they do. And that's something that as the season goes on, I'm going to be watching for now that I've recognized that there is somewhat of an issue uh, with, defending tight ends and defending passes over the middle.
1: Wet and blue hell, OSU, it is way too early, but after two games, which position group do you think coaches could sell recruits on to come to OSU?
0: Wide receiver, hands down. You've got nine guys, I think, that could easily come in and and roll with the ones or twos in practice. You've got probably seven or eight that are realistically going to see targets in any given game. Um, that's, it's a deep position. And so, you know, you might not be looking to add receivers necessarily. You might not be selling that group to other receivers, but you can sell it to to players on the offense and say, Hey, don't you want to come play on an offense that has these guys that you can throw to? I mean, guaranteed if they're recruiting a quarterback, they're saying, Hey, look at all of these former four-star recruits that are on the field. If they're recruiting offensive linemen, they're going to say your job blocking is going to be made a whole lot easier by those guys on the outside. Uh, that's that's a position group that I have been incredibly excited about. And I think recruits will look at that and say, man, Oregon State's got a lot of talent. Yeah.
1: And, and if you can put up some big numbers offensively, always helps recruiting. To be Beave, any update on Hodgins? Could he be back for USC?
0: No update on Hodgins timeline-wise. I will say when I saw him yesterday down on the field, he was not wearing a boot. And that is a, that is a a development because really from the first day that he was injured up until when we last saw him in person, I believe going into the Purdue week, uh, he wasn't a boot. So this is the first time I've, I've seen him without anything on that foot. Coach Smith originally mentioned, you know, about eight week timeline for him, which would put him him back around the Washington game, Washington, Washington state somewhere in there.
1: Um, is Beeson just not winning routes? There has not been a ton of targets toward him.
0: That's a playing time thing. You know, that's, that's a, a result of Anthony Gould coming in and making a name for himself. And, um, Trevon Bradford, you know, is, is firmly in the starting lineup. Tyjon Lindsay, when he's healthy, is in the starting lineup. Um, but Beeson's kind of in this battle for playing time with Champ Flemings and, and Anthony Gould. And, whoever's gonna fill that third spot in the lineup. And it is a playing time thing. And, you know, he's, he's only gotten five targets over the first two weeks, but I expect him to, to continue to make plays when he's out there. And I think as long as he's doing that, um, he's gonna see enough playing time to make a difference. And he certainly did against Hawaii. He had yeah. two catches for a touchdown.
1: So, um, 2 Beeve also says, I'm not looking past Idaho, but that USC matchup is intriguing. If we can play four quarters of pass defense, give me your way too early prediction.
0: Kind of taking the easy way out here. Cause I'm going to say this game's going to go in one of two ways. Either USC is going to win by two touchdowns and a field goal, you know, make it a, a two or three possession game or Oregon state's going to shock them and, and win by 10 or 14. That's just USC is. So there's two USC teams, the one that's coached by the Clay Helton USC fans want to get rid of and <laughs> the coach that the athletic department sees and whichever one shows up on the field two weeks from now uh, that's going to determine that's going to determine the outcome of the game because uh, or-, or I think Oregon State's going to go in and-, and play the same kind of game regardless uh, but whichever USC team lines up across from them is is going to dictate the outcome of that it
1: is so true I mean I-, I love Clay Helton I just think he seems like a great guy great coach good for the Pac-12 and then yeah. And then sometimes you're left like, what in the hell was that? You know, it's, it's interesting. So Seattle B or CB wants to know more about gums. We've just addressed all of that. M Chiafone, usual D-line question. What do you think of their performance so far? Is there enough there to warrant not recruiting six to seven Juco players this cycle?
0: For the first time in a very long time, I would say there's enough there to not warrant recruiting six or seven Juco players. And- <laughs> That's a testament to all of the Juco players that they have brought in. Uh, Tavis Shipp and James Rawls, both of those guys made a bunch of plays yesterday.
1: We saw um, Keontae Shad and against
0: And against Purdue. Keontae Shad did get some more playing time this week. Him uh, wearing 32
1: like, really messes with me. I keep seeing 32 mm-hmm. making plays, and I'm like, who is 32?
0: Not a wait. typical defensive lineman yeah. number. Um, but Sione Lolahea didn't play last or, uh, on Saturday. Uh, which was a surprise to us. You know, we, we did not see that coming. Um, I don't remember him going down with an injury, but he was unavailable. And, uh, when I saw that, I said, oh, great. Well, there's, there's the guy who stepped in for Hodgins and had such a good game. What are you going to do now? Well, enter James Rawls, who comes in and I believe he recorded a sack. Yeah. If, if not a tackle for loss. Yeah. I'll pull that up real quick. Uh, James Rawls had two tackles tackle for loss and a quarterback. Okay.
1: So. So M. Chifoni also says, has any defensive coach done enough to keep their job if what we have seen so far this season holds?
0: Coach Bray, for sure. Um, linebackers are never a question and his recruiting ability. Um, he'll he'll be here for a long time. I, I think Coach Bray could be here as long as he wants, really. Uh, Blue Adams, I think, has done enough. You know, The, the secondary has improved, in my opinion. Um, the talent is there. The depth is there. And I think they've actually upped their production, even though the passing numbers don't look great. You know, Oregon State's averaging like 330 passing yards against per game at this point. Um, But I I honestly think that that is a little deceiving. I think the secondary's played much better than that. It really just does come down to third downs. Um, But outside of that, you know, Coach Tibisar, if the third downs continue to be an issue, something's got to give eventually.
1: Yeah. So JRU says there's been a lot of complaining about third and long. So, my question would you rather play off the receiver and let them dink and dunk and hope something happens along the way to stop the drive or play up on them and get burnt for 40, 50 yards or even a quick TD? Would you rather?
0: Do you have a good answer for that? Because I have to. I don't, that because that's like,
1: that's seriously like death by paper cut or death by stabbing. I mean, I don't know. I think
0: I think right now I would say let's play up on them and see what happens because we don't see a whole lot of that. Um, and with the struggles that Oregon State has had with open field tackles yeah. recently.
1: That is still um, a problem not, too, by the way. Not
0: not so much this year, but still to an extent, that's where playing off the receiver really burns you if, if you mm-hmm. can't bring a guy down on those short crossing routes. Um, and I think with the talent that they have at defensive back and at safety this year, you know, maybe you, maybe you do play up on them and, and go for some one-on-one coverage because the coaches have really touted Alex Austin for being an incredible coverage corner. Um, Rajon Wright, of course, makes a ton of plays. Let's, let's give, go, give those guys a chance into some one-on-one situations on a third and 13 and see if they can come up with a, with a pass breakup or an, an INT or, you know, force a receiver out of bounds.
1: Yeah, because that's I agree with you because we've been playing, we've been seeing them play way off, and then they can't make the tackle, and that's where the big yards come from. Is that they play off, then they can't bring them down. So maybe be right in their pocket for. Um, will the secondary improve enough for the Beavs to go bowling? The D line looks improved so far.
0: Yeah, it, it'll get there, and it has to because, again, this is it's not a Blue Adams thing. It's it's the Coach Tavisar thing. It's it's a scheme. Problem on third down. Um, The talent, trust me, trust me, people. Like the talent is there. I I know what you see on game day might not look like it, but everything I saw in practice, watching these receivers go up, go up against this secondary, and and, and watching the secondary every single day, I I know how much better they are than what they have been in the past. Um, It's it's just when they go up against an opponent that's not themselves, they get out schemed.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a defensive coordinator. That right there is defensive coordinator. Okay, Mr. Mister G. Gray, nationally, OSU is top 30 in tackles for loss and rushing yards. With three of the next four games being against non-running teams, do you think OSU defense can end up in the top half of these categories by season's end? That's
0: a great question. That's a really, really good question. Um, Oregon State has been in the bottom 30 in those categories over yes. the last... Well, save for 2019 tackles for loss, they were, they had a very good year, yeah. um, but outside of that one category in that one year, it's, it has been a rough stretch. Uh, so for that reason, I say, no, they won't be, uh, they they won't be up there by season's end uh, just because I haven't really seen anything to this point under coach Ted that would lead me to believe otherwise.
1: Okay. There you go. Carter has spoken. I love your honesty. I, that's the one thing that Carter, I love talking football with you because I think you and I both can be honest on the damn podcast. You kind of tell it like it is. Sometimes I think we can maybe share or orange glasses things a little bit, but.
0: Well, and I think we keep each other grounded at times. You know, you mentioned that earlier. I, I, you were a little negative on the defense and I said, well, Hey, look at all of these individual.
1: Exactly. No, and
0: we, we balance each other out sometimes. Cause sometimes I can be a downer too. And you, yeah. But I, I, I usually
1: like to be positive, but and I think part of it is when you, when you do, when you sit and watch the game and like I said, I've watched a lot of Beaver football in my years um, and you see the same thing over and over and over. It gets frustrating. Believe me. I could not go out and do this. Believe me. I'm not trying to be armchair quarterback, but um, no, it's good. I, I love that you brought up some of those, those stats, because you're right. Those numbers we haven't seen from an Oregon state team in forever. Um, okay. So one thing I did, so at least in the lodge at Beaver Blitz, There is a coach that typically remains nameless that coached here before Jonathan Smith and fans just really seem to have it out for poor Gary Anderson. But I will say there is one thing that Gary Anderson did that I think is seriously the coolest thing. And I'm glad he did it. I mean, because most schools in the country do it, but Twitter, Oregon State, Twitter had it last night and Facebook after a win, when the team goes into the locker room and sings the fight song. So under Riley, they didn't do that. They didn't even know the words to the fight song. They did they, their hip, hip, hooray. They just hip said hip, hip, hooray a few yeah. times. Hip, hip, hooray. But it was, I don't know. I guess that's the alumni in me coming through, the proud alumni that to watch those guys.
0: And I can say now, proud alumni. you proud of alumni.
1: Yeah. I don't know. If, did you see that on, on Twitter? I did, yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's like, okay. Um, and I have, you know, been and on road games. Before they do
0: a, it on the field, too. It, yeah. Do it in the stadium before they go into the locker room.
1: So they do it on the field too. They
0: do. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, you know, I, I went down to the media room before the game was over. So I actually wasn't in the stadium at the end of the game, but I, I, I'm pretty sure. And, you know, obviously our listeners would know this better than us because they're actually in the, in the seats. I'm pretty sure that the team uh, does stay out there and and sing the fight song on the field.
1: Okay. Cause I know they do on road games. Cause that's you know, road games were always fun when you were sitting in the, in the fan section and, and a w- big win, the team will come over and, but, um, anyway, I thought that was cool. And like I said, for all the negative that people like to bring up about Gary Anderson and there's plenty
0: for good reason,
1: for good reason, that was one piece that I think he left Oregon state better than when he came in. Okay. Carter, are you ready? I, I think you need some sleep. I think you need to uh, rest up One thirty kick this week. Um, so you got a week, but beaver blitz full coverage all week you know before we leave i do want to actually touch base with you because you had a chance to interview laney college head coach john beam this week prior to the hawaii game because there were several laney college kids playing for oregon state in hawaii but give us a little rundown because you have some content planned for for later in the year from your conversation just talk about how what that experience was like talking with him
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Beaver Blitz members and and readers, and if if you're listening to this pod and you're not at Beaver Blitz, um, stay tuned over the next few weeks because I I had an awesome conversation with Coach John Beam uh, from Laney College. We talked for about 20 minutes just about – well, you know, we we talked about this upcoming Hawaii game and the fact that there were five Laney alums playing, but I also wanted to make a point of asking about each individual – a Laney transfer that has come to Oregon State over the last three years since coach Smith took over so that includes the Wright brothers Jordan Whitley Marco Brewer Josh Green um, and I feel like there's another that I'm leaving off off the top of my head but uh, just to get some insight on what they were like in junior college and, and kind of get some more insight on their their path to Oregon State and, um, Josh Green's story in particular I think is is going to be pretty cool for for our readers to hear about, um, he has he's he's from Australia. I don't know if a lot of Beaver fans know that. Um, and his path to get to Oregon State is pretty interesting. So we'll have a little series on on Beaver Blitz um, with some some quotes from Coach Beam, and you'll get to know some of those guys a little bit better. Uh,
1: hey, I as love the seasonings so on you had this past week though. Talking, I mean, how he he used to send guys to or, or to Oregon, and he made the comment about when I sent guys to Oregon. They Oregon won and now I'm sending guys to Oregon State and they're winning and he said I just deal with I just surround myself with winners but uh talking with you after you spoke to him I I think this series is going to be really eye-opening for Beaver fans too and what some of these kids come from background wise um what I I know just talking with you it's really kind of made me check myself here the past couple days and you know things that I think that I go through or I mean we all have things on our plate but you think about the Wright brothers driving two hours each day two practice and two hours home for practice just Mm -hmm. to get to practice i mean so much that these these guys are sacrificing and and doing or what they've seen growing up family yeah and and
0: and jordan whitley's another one um we'll we'll have a piece on him later in the year as well that um I, i think a lot of oregon state fans know what he's been through recently but maybe not necessarily what he experienced um in his younger years and so um I, th- I think you're just if if you're a Beaver fan you're definitely going to want to hear some of this insight that coach Beam provided because that conversation was was eye-opening for me as well and I, I know if you watched Last Chance You, you've seen what some of those junior college kids go through and um, some of the players on Oregon State have had similar experiences so that full interview will be featured on an episode of the damn podcast later on as well um, with coach Beam's permission we're going to run that whole 20 minute interview. And, um, but that's going to be after those stories go live. We don't want to give away all of that content.
1: Yes. Uh, so on, I'm excited on. for that. Um, and then just the connections he has with, with coaches, he goes way back with even back to, you know, coach Riley, coach Bray, uh, uh yep. Craig Bray under Dennis Erickson. So there's lots of history. And that that's the thing. When you start talking to these coaches, Carter is just the fraternity and where all these guys kind of know each other. And I think, I, I don't, I know you didn't talk with him about this, but I actually think that John Beam was the connection with Danny Langsdorf to the Rogers brothers.
0: I can confirm that. Yep, he said that the the Rogers brothers are uh, are Coach Beam guys. So yeah, so yeah, uh, John Beam had coached at
1: something. It was when he coached high school ball, and he had coached at some Cali, Texas thing where James played, and he told Danny about James Rogers. Just said, take a look, and then yeah, so the rest is history. But that I thought was, was interesting. So um thanks for listening, <coughs> excuse me, to this episode of the Damn Podcast. We will be back next week with another episode.